Hi, welcome to the Sustainable Business Podcast with me, Will Richardson. This week, we're looking at the world of fashion. With London Fashion Week coming to an end at the weekend, we thought it would be right to look at an industry that has a particularly poor reputation when it comes to its carbon impact. When combining all parts of the product cycle, the UN estimates that the global fashion industry contributes between 8 and 10% of all carbon emissions, and so-called fast fashion continues to be greatly scrutinised by campaign groups for its impact on the environment. Joining me today is a prominent voice in the world of sustainable fashion. It's Alicia Thieu from Green Element, who's done work with the industry group Fashion Declares, as well as working with a number of businesses in the fashion industry to help them decarbonise their supply chains and production practices. Welcome, Alicia. Hi, Will. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited to be chatting on the podcast today. Yeah, no, so am I, considering we work so much together. And yeah. you yeah, you definitely know your stuff on this subject. So um, <laughs> I'm looking at trying to pull that out um, so that people can understand what it is to do and, you know, learn more about such a complicated industry as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think sort of fashion is something that's quite close to my heart anyway, um, sort of obviously aside from my environmental career. Um, so sort of marrying the two together is a really exciting area for me. Brilliant. So first and foremost, how big an issue are the carbon emissions caused by the fashion industry? Yeah, so as you mentioned in the um, introduction there, the fashion industry is responsible for about 10% of global greenhouse gas emissions, which is quite a big proportion. Um, And those greenhouse gas emissions are are mainly associated with the fossil fuels, which is used to generate the energy which goes into sort of all the different life stages of producing clothing or footwear or accessories. So everything from extracting the raw materials, whether that sort of be growing cotton, um through to the raw materials processing things like dyeing um manufacturing so um actually making the fabric itself and then making the garments and then obviously all of the distribution as well which which goes alongside that um and according to the united nations the apparel industry as a whole actually uses more energy than both the aviation and shipping industries combined, which is quite staggering, really, given how carbon intense both of those industries are. Um, I suppose also it's it's also worth mentioning that greenhouse gas emissions, global warming isn't the only environmental impact caused by the fashion industry. Um, the industry actually uses huge volumes of water um, input into sort of growing the raw materials as well as the materials processing um as well as sort of harmful chemicals involved particularly in, in textiles dyeing um and all that sort of water use energy use and then the waste as well that comes out the other side which both the production is responsible for but also as consumers we are also responsible for that wastage so yeah it's obviously greenhouse gases major issue but there are lots of other other things mm. going on as well and I- I think you kind of answered my question inadvertently. The next question I oh, had right. was, well, because what I was what I was going to ask you was, if we just switch to renewables, um, then that whole you know emissions would reduce. But actually, what you're saying is, it's not just about the emissions. There's so much more to it. It's basically so multifaceted. Yeah, absolutely. And sort of one of one of the main um, sort of recommendations. Um, you know, for for the production process as a whole would be 
switching over to 100% renewable energy. Um, and that would have a massive impact, but it's it's not the only impact, as you say. We've got to sort of um, account for these other sort of sustainability issues of the industry as a whole. And how much is it down to production methods or is it all because of the demand? Um, it's a really good question and it's kind of both. So, um Basically, the, all the different stages as I sort of went through the raw materials, production, the preparation, the processing of the, of the materials and then the garments are all really energy intensive processes. And um, a report actually by McKinsey estimated that that was accounted for about 70% of the total greenhouse gas emissions generated from the apparel industry. So all those sort of production methods and processes that are going on. And when we look at the sort of whole life cycle of clothing, including the consumer use and disposal, which also, you know, we also need to account for and think about um, companies that have already been through this carbon footprinting process, uh, fashion brands such as Levi's, Strauss and and H&M as well, um, have estimated that around 20% of their total carbon footprints are actually down to the consumer use and the disposal of clothing. So that's actually that post-production part of it, which is quite Mm. a big chunk. And overproduction, obviously, is a really big part of the problem because if we made less, then global emissions from all stages of the production, including that use and end of life, would be reduced because there would be fewer clothes in circulation in general, um, which is a really sort of strong reason why we can't ignore the consumer aspect of the industry's impact as well. Um, the industry needs to make much more more effort to promote mm-hmm. repairing, refurbishing, second-hand clothing, and sort of making long-lasting, good quality clothing in the first place, which doesn't need to be replaced all the time. So sort of bringing down the, the pure number of garments in circulation, as well as decarbonizing the processes. Mm. I was listening to a program that had Primark's um, head of sustainability on the other day. It was Deborah mm-hmm. Meaden's podcast. And okay. she was talking about how how environmental they are becoming but I think you've just hit the nail on the head it doesn't matter about the practices it's about how much you're making if the most of the emissions come from actually fast fashion then fast fashion shouldn't exist yeah, absolutely. It's a whole sort of societal change as well as a sort of a way of thinking. And that sort of needs to come from the top down in terms of how do we sort of normalize, you know, clothing, you know, buying secondhand clothes and, and re- repairing our own clothes or sending it to be refurbished. Um, so I think I think once we tackle that sort of mindset in just reducing reducing consumption, um will be a long, a long way towards mm. reducing. Yeah. you know, sort of global emissions from the industry. Yeah, I guess you can make the most quality clothes. And if you're making thousand, like too much of it, that's the crux of it. So what what are some of the steps fashion businesses can take when it comes to their own operations? So within a company's own operations, it's usually where they have the most autonomy and control over what can actually be measured and changed. Um, And I suppose sort of a starting point which feeds actually into the production process will be the design of clothing um, and shoes and accessories and sort of, you know, all of those sorts of things. Um, Making sure that the fabrics that are chosen have longevity, are sustainably produced um, and that the clothing is made with a mind that it could be repaired one day and then be reused after that. Um, So I think design is really important. 
aside from that, in terms of a company's own sites and those operational sites, whether that be retail outlets, shops, offices, warehouses, um, attention can obviously be paid to the energy efficiency of those buildings, as well as you know, ensuring that 100% renewable is used, cutting out the use of fossil fuels, those sorts of things. Um, and also as well, sort of a nod again to the water use efficiency and, and ensuring that waste is disposed of appropriately as well is really important. I'd say aside from buildings, if a company has its own fleet of vehicles, they can consider whether they could switch to electric vehicles instead, which could be charged then with their 100% renewable electricity tariffs. And sort of, you know, in addition to that, there are some really great courses by the Smart Freight Centre and Energy Savings Trust as well on sort of fleet efficiency. So, you know, anything to do with sort of logistics and operations, which are within a company's own control. And there are lots of improvements that can be made there. Um, and I suppose finally as well, just to mention sort of the decisions made with regards to the material and packaging choices that are actually used sort of can we use less considering all the materials that are being used um considering whether they can be reused um it's really you, you know it's really important and something that um brands do actually have influence over it's, it's really interesting to hear about the operational side but should companies um, focus solely on their own practices or is it also important, you know, to look at the suppliers and distributors within the ecosystem? Yeah, so I think it's absolutely essential that companies also look at their suppliers and distributors because that forms a huge part of their scope three emissions. Um, so we mentioned at the start that around 70% of the greenhouse gas emissions from the industry as a whole are actually related to the first stages of production, which are often um, performed by third party suppliers, distributors, etc. Um, so just to remind ourselves that's producing the raw materials, um, processing the raw materials and making the garments. Um, and that means essentially that focusing efforts there can have the greatest collective impact. Having said that, um, that, that's also an area of the supply chain that companies tend to really struggle with because they have the least influence um, over their suppliers. And so it can can prove a bit, you know, can prove a bit tricky. Um, and that's why in general, sort of, we suggest a really collaborative approach to tackling escape three supply chain emissions, sort of opening the conversation with suppliers and seeing how they respond um, to sort of implementing electric vehicles into their fleets or um, changing the materials they use or switching to renewable energy. Um, are there sort of any incentives that that you can provide? Can you um, invest money in new technologies which will um, work with suppliers to sort of make make their processes more efficient, um, and I think it's actually really interesting that um, the science based targets initiative actually for their scope three targets one of the sort of optional pathways is sort of a, a collaborative approach um, of bringing your suppliers along with you. So will a target to get them to sign up to science-based targets? And I think that's that's really interesting and just sort of highlights the, the collaboration that, that's needed sort of a, mm. within the industry as a whole. It's such an important part of the reduction strategy, isn't it, for, for that collaboration, yeah. for the suppliers to all work together and have that lead. We hear a lot about offsetting within mm -hmm. the supply chain and... What are your thoughts on that? 
decarbonisation of the supply chain is the only real way to tackle the carbon footprint of the industry. And so that's sort of the path that we take all of our clients down. Um, I mentioned the Science-Based Targets Initiative. And so just to sort of talk a little bit about that, sort of to set the scene. Um, the Science-Based Targets Initiative um, is sort of a collaboration with some of the really big hitters. So the UN Global Compact, um, the World Resources Institute, WWF, who have sort of designed this framework for companies to set targets which put you you on track, your carbon emissions reductions on track um, to meet and align with 1.5 degrees cap on global warming. Um, and eventually to meet what, what we sort of call science-based net zero by 2050 at the latest. Um, so science-based targets are really robust. They're very meaningful um, and, as I sort of mentioned, in line with the climate science. And there are lots of benefits to setting them as well, including sort of res- improved resilience, um, sort of preparation for regulations that might come into place, improved credibility, um, really positive for company reputation and can be quite cost effective as well um, depending on sort of the strategies and efficiencies that are put in place as part of your carbon reduction strategy and a real way sort of future-proofing your business. So setting science-based targets basically involves setting a short-term target over five to ten years and then a long-term net zero target which must you know your net zero target date must be 2050 by the latest Mm. um and basically what that means for your net zero target is that companies need to reduce their emissions by at least 90 percent by their net zero target date and then only those residual emissions which is around 10 percent at the end can then be removed via permanent carbon removals um and they can be nature-based or technology-based such as direct air capture and storage so in a nutshell, you wouldn't offset because it's not scientifically proven. Yeah, exactly. So carbon offsetting is used by some companies um, sort of uh, as, you know, as sort of an alternative, a quick, quicker fix than this. And I suppose, yeah, just sort of giving that background there, just trying to explain that um, it's sort of not, not, not a quick fix. Um, mm. And these sort of reductions, sort of science-based reductions targets, which have been modelled on the actual science, so we know that you know we have confidence in them, are sort of the the best way to go because there are so many issues associated with carbon offsetting, and that that's sort of the reason why they're not accepted towards you know yeah. your science-based targets. That makes sense. And um, can you think of any examples of companies that have made progress in the decarbonising? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was sort of having a little browse on Science-Based Targets Initiative the other the other day. Um, they had a recent impact report out um, and I was just sort of having a little look around. So there are currently around 72 companies in the fashion, footwear and textiles industries who have set their near-term science-based targets, um, committing to limiting global warming by 1.5 degrees. Um, and they include companies such as Adidas, Allbirds, Burberry, um, Levi's that I mentioned earlier as well um and out of those 72 country companies there are 23 who have also set um or committed rather to a net zero target but not not set that target yet um as that sort of framework is relatively renewed um relatively new um and as i just described sort of setting your science-based targets is committing to reducing greenhouse gas emissions um 
and it's a great sign that fashion brands are engaging. So Allbirds, for example, um, are looking really carefully at their materials and the recycled content of their packaging, some of their forefront carbon reduction strategy, um, whilst Levi's, on the other hand, are looking at sourcing renewable energy at all of their owned and operated sites um, and also investing in their supply chain to drive decarbonisation sort of amongst their suppliers. Um, so it's really interesting sort of seeing what different different mm. companies have I- identified as, you know, sort of the, the main things that, that they want to prioritise at the moment. And the companies that you work with, what, what sort of things are they, what sort of things are they doing? Yeah, so there's all sorts going on. Um, so renewable energy, sort of switching to renewable energy, similarly to Levi's at um, owned and operated sites is a big one. Um, it's a bit more of a challenge with supplier-owned sites, so sort of factories and things like that. Um, but there is sort of it, it, there could be some influence over it, especially some of the bigger brands that we've worked for who um, have, do have that bit more influence purely for sort of volume of the the garments that they're producing as well um and sort of some some of our other companies like um Finisterre sort of looked looking at the materials they've got some really exciting new materials like their wetsuits um that that they sort of substituted out to have sort of a low environmental impact and also sort of we're seeing lots of lots of companies launching refurbishment and repair services um Finisterre have their own sort of repairs workshop online so yeah all sorts of different things in terms of packaging as well um you know we're seeing a reduction in the amount of packaging being used in general um which obviously has a knock-on effect for freighting as well so the less weight we're sending or less packaging we're sending the lower the the mm. carbon emissions from freighting as well so lots lots of exciting things and you conduct life cycle analysis on yeah. um clothing companies don't you so you look at yeah and um, could you explain what a life cycle analysis is please yeah sure so a life cycle analysis looks at um the well the environmental impact i mean um for for us specifically the greenhouse gas emissions associated with every stage of a product's production um and so we tend to do cradle to grave life cycle analysis which is basically looking at um all of the inputs from the raw materials extraction production and extraction processing manufacturing the product itself whether it's a garment whether it's something else and then distributing, warehousing, um, all the transportation in between all those different legs, um, all the way through to the customer. And then if whatever the product is has sort of a use phase or might be might require energy to use it, then that would be included as well, all the way through to the end of life. So the, the carbon emissions associated with whatever waste disposal method um, that that product undergoes. So it's a really comprehensive and detailed look at every stage of a product's production. So when you first started doing this, um, mm-hmm. the life cycle analysis, was there anything that that you saw in, you know, the work that you were doing that you were kind of, oh, wow, you know, that, that jumped out at you and when I wasn't expecting that or or was it all I kind of was expecting most of this? Um, 
Yes and no. Um, I would say <laughs> the impact of the raw materials themselves often surprises me at how big a part of the product footprint they have. Um, and that's just the raw materials themselves. And that sort of, you, you think about, you know, all of the um, energy that goes into production and transporting um, products around sort of global networks. And you think that's going to be huge. And then you actually look at look at the results and often it's actually the raw materials themselves which have um, the biggest impact. And I say that so, somewhat ironically, that tends to be where we tend to have the least um, detailed data just because, you know, the way the, work, <laughs> the world works is big sort of global supply chains and very far removed from sort of somebody actually growing the cotton in the ground um, and sort of getting that sort of level of detail is so important and something that that I hope sort of the work that we do and other companies do will will enable that sort of transparency all, all the way through the supply chain. With regards to raw materials, we I've had quite a few people on our podcast talking about natural products and then synthetic products. Does that make a difference on that um, life cycle? So I guess we could talk about wool or basically plastic, isn't it? That's that's used instead of wool, um, polyester. Is there is there a difference? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's really complex, and there are sort of different schools of thoughts and sort of the natural versus synthetics um, textiles for clothing. Um, so obviously, polyester is made from fossil fuels. Um, obviously a big big negative um and it's very energy intensive process recycled polyester is available but there are again going to be greenhouse gas emissions associated with the recycling of that polyester um and because there are often plastics are produced sort of in in products which have lots of different complex mixtures of different plastics there are some challenges associated with um with the recycling of plastics and polyester so that it can then be used in textiles and for garments um i suppose with with wool the farming practices so the production of the sheep have the biggest impact on um sort of the life cycle of of a woolen garment um that's mainly owing to the methane produced by by the sheep as ruminant animals as well as sort of lots of lots of other inputs as well in terms of um you know the energy associated with with farming the land use um and the, the consequences on soil health and soil fertility etc cetera, etc cetera. um so there, there are sort of lots of environmental impacts associated with both um so it's it's kind of not as, as simple to say one's better than mm. the other um i think it really has to be taken on a case-by-case basis and getting right down into the weeds of the data so you know, literally going back to the farm level and saying what practices are used, what energy is used, how much is used and assessing those impacts. Obviously, there are farming methods such as regenerative farming techniques, which are considered as much more environmentally friendly than conventional farming techniques. Um, and similarly, sort of in that example of, of polyester as well, there are 100% recycled polyester can be used from 100% renewable energy, but then you've still got the microplastics and, and sort of toxins associated with polyester whether it's recycled or not so it's really it's really not that simple 
and this is a rhetorical question, how do we disseminate that information and how do we, you know, educate consumers on mm. this subject, really? Mm. And it's making it as simple as possible because it's complicated from listening to you. Yeah, it's really complicated. Mm. Moving into, you know, consumers, are people looking for sustainable or upcycled clothing? Yes, absolutely. So um, a couple of weeks ago, I was actually at the launch party for a new company selling secondhand high street and designer clothes. Um, and they're called The Circle. And there was such a buzz about the place. People seemed genuinely excited, um, you know, to be looking, you know, looking at all these lovely secondhand pre-loved clothes and also getting a bit of a bargain as well, um, which which we mustn't forget um, is, is obviously a benefit. Um, and that's that's sort of just just one example. There are lots of online retailers selling um, pre-loved secondhand clothing, shoes and accessories that are all actually doing really well. Um, and it's good to see it becoming more mainstream um, again, so that that reuse of clothing. Um, I'd say as well, we're also seeing lots of companies launching those sort of refurbishment and repair schemes on their website. So um, Finisterre, as I mentioned before, who we've worked with, have launched a repairs workshop and um, Patagonia sort of have a sort of long-standing worn wear hub as well, um, where you can sort of send in clothes that they'll refurbish and resell or um, they sort of do repairs as well on sort of your clothing that you want back. Um, so lots of exciting things going on another option is garment rentals as well so um there are some specialist companies doing uh just rentals and even some sort of high street fashion retailers have trialed it um i think h&m trialed it um maybe maybe mm. um, in the past few years but um hasn't quite hasn't quite become mainstream yet but there's no reason why not and i think it's that sort of uh as i was talking about earlier that societal mindset shift mm. um to make it sort of you know, trendy and cool um, and normal. And moving into Fashion Declares, it's London Fashion Week. You've been doing some work for Fashion Declares. Can you tell us Mm -hmm. a bit more about that organisation and what they do? I worked with Fashion Declares and Sophia Mini, who um, sort of one of one of the founders of that organisation, and she asked me to speak about decarbonising the supply chain and the fashion industry in a recent webinar, um, which was really good event and brought together some really interesting speakers from sort of various perspectives in the industry. Um, so, Fashion Declares, sort of as an organisation organization is a sort of global movement of people within the fan fashion industry who all want to learn learn more share best practices and um, take effective action on climate and um, ecological and social problems um, so sort of the the concepts they have five main goals fashion guys have five main goals which sort of range from social justice to decarbonization and pushing for a sort of a regenerative fashion model so sort of um changing the the fashion industry to act as a force for good and sort of promote responsible um and sort of sustainable ways of working and companies can commit those goals by signing um, an open letter on their website so it's sort of you know bringing companies in the fashion industry together um as a collective force for for um all of the good things that that we've been talking about today Brilliant. I mean, that sounds really positive. Um, yeah. Are you optimistic about um, the industry? Is it moving in the right direction? Um, so again, I suppose yes and no. Um, I think the tools <laughs> are there. 
<laughs> and companies and the public are starting to sort of sit up and listen. Um, there's, you know, even sort of things on Instagram, you're starting to get more and more uh, bloggers, fashion bloggers, things like that. And um, Instagram stars starting to talk about, um, you know, the sustainability of fashion. Um, lots of brands are jumping on board. I think that awareness in the public is is really starting to gain a bit of traction um it made me really really excited to go to the circle launch party the other week and see people so engaged with um second-hand clothing I think that's so important um that this reuse recycled repair clothing becomes really normalized in society and even sort of desirable and I think sort of at the company level there are some really forward-thinking companies um especially those we've worked with like Finisterre who are making some serious commitments um to reducing their environmental impact but on the flip side of that there are also still a lot of sort of the bigger players um who are sort of still playing lip service to sustainability and it would be really good to see them all signed up to science-based targets all setting their net zero targets and um even mm. even perhaps being held accountable um to some of those targets at some point you know on the questions that we ask anyone that wants to come and work at green element it's what what's yeah. one of the campaigns you're most unimpressed with it always surprises me um how many people talk about the h&m campaigns and yes. it's it really does say such a big um you know story because generally i would say that most people who want to come and work for us in most of the roles are younger between 20 yeah. and 35 and yeah. i would imagine that h&m is target market is between 20 and 35 so their target market are switching off their target market yeah. are going you're greenwashing and yeah. that's got to say something to them. I did think about anonymizing all the data and then sending them yeah. all the answers and going, look, <laughs> your target market think it's rubbish. Do something about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um that yeah, the attraction is growing. There's so much there's so much more awareness, as you say, especially in in that sort of age group. Um which is great. And I th- I think, you know, we need we need people to sort of start demanding that change, which I think they are. Actually, I think they are. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you, Alicia, for joining us on this podcast today. Thanks for having me. And if you'd like to learn more about decarbonising the fashion industry, you can find a link to the Fashion Declares website in the show notes. There's a link to our website there as well. And if you want to feedback or if you have any questions, feel free to DM us at Green Element through LinkedIn, Twitter or Facebook. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Richardson from Green Element. Don't forget to rate and subscribe the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And we'll be back next month. Until then, take care.